Let's read responsively Lord's Day oops, 46. Question and answer 120 and 121. Why has Christ commanded us to address God as our Father? To awaken in us at the very beginning of our prayer what should be basic to our prayer, a childlike reverence and trust that through Christ God has become our Father and will much less refuse to give us what we ask in faith than will our parents refuse us the things of this life. Why the words, who is in heaven? These words teach us not to think of God's heavenly majesty in an earthly way and to expect from his almighty power everything needed for body and soul. And now the scripture passage from Luke chapter 11, verse 1 to 13. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins. For we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation. And he said to them, Which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, Do not bother me. The door is now shut, and my children are, in, in, are, are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives, and the one who seeks, finds, and to the one who knocks, it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent, or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. May he add his blessing to it as we consider it together this evening. Tonight we begin a new series on the Lord's Prayer from the Heidelberg Catechism. And when it comes to Christian discipleship and learning how to pray, the Lord's Prayer is an incredibly helpful guide for us that we ought to continually come back to. In fact, here, when the disciples said to Jesus, Lord, teach us to pray, he gave them this response in order to teach them and us what God-glorifying prayer looks like. Moreover, in Matthew's gospel, during that Sermon on the Mount, Jesus told his disciples not to be like the Pharisees, who liked to heap up what he called empty phrases, thinking that they would be heard for their many words. Instead, he gave his people, his disciples, and to us this short, rich, and memorable prayer as a model. 
And so we have very good reason to consider this prayer which is before us. And in this prayer, the Lord's Prayer, we learn about the priorities of prayer. Praising God, confessing our sins, and praying for our needs in light of God's kingdom and his greatness. Finally, the Lord's Prayer also helps us to pray when we are not sure what we should pray for. Sometimes that happens. We get in prayer ruts in our life. We enter into difficult seasons of life and we just struggle to find the right words to pray. In those moments, we can take the Lord's Prayer upon our lips and let them guide us as we consider how each petition informs where we are at in our relationship with God and in the world around us. And so this prayer which Jesus gave to us is a wonderful gift to the church. Here at the beginning of the Lord's Prayer, Jesus teaches us how we are to approach God. In our address to God, we are reminded of two truths that flavor our prayers. One, the remarkable nearness of God in prayer. And two, the incredible greatness of God in prayer. God is so near to us in Christ that when we call upon him as father, he is that near to us as a father. And yet he is great and awesome as the God who is in heaven. But before we dig into those two main points, we want to consider one brief point about our address to God, which expresses something else. That is our unity with one another, our unity with one another. Notice that this is not an individualistic prayer that Jesus has given the church, but this prayer actually helps connect us with our brothers and sisters throughout the world. All those who share a common faith in Jesus Christ together address God as our Father, our Father. Ephesians 4 verse 5 says, There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. So together we are one body of Christ on earth, even though we might live in different areas of the world and praise God in different languages Together as the church, we all call upon God as our Father, collectively. We need to remember this in our address to God because we live in a culture that is very individualistic. It's easy for us to live on a kind of spiritual island and cut ourselves off from others. Moreover, some churches can even cut themselves off from other churches, the broader church of Christ, and only think about themselves in relationship with God, and that's not correct or proper. And here we find that Christianity is not an individualistic faith, but our God is our Father. When we pray, we do so with the church and for the church. Prayer, we could say, is kind of the defining characteristic of the household of God. How do you identify the household of God? Well, it's the household that prays. They pray together and call upon God as our Father. We call upon God as our Father. We join in a mutual love and affection for God and for one another. And just one final point on this. There is power in the collective prayers of God's people. Think about this. Zacharias or Sinus, the primary author of the Heidelberg Catechism, writes this. Praying our Father also gives us confidence since God will not reject the collective prayers of his people joined together. 
As Jesus said to his disciples, for where two or three are gathered, I am there with them. So in a sense, there, there's greater effectiveness or efficacy in the collective nature when more Christians come together and pray for the same thing. The collective nature of our faith comes out in Mark chapter 2 in this uh, story where we hear about the paralytic who was brought to Jesus by his friends. Think of this story. They brought him through the roof to meet Jesus there in that room. And because Jesus saw what he saw their faith, not just the faith of the paralytic, but their faith, referring to the faith of that man and also his friends, Jesus healed them. And so it was because of their collective faith that Jesus forgave the man and then healed him. And in that, we see, in a sense, a glimpse of the power in prayer when God's people come together in faith to call upon the Lord our God and bring our praise and petition before his throne of grace. So we remember God is our Father, that collective nature in prayer. Now, the nearness of God, the nearness of God in prayer. Father. When Jesus taught about prayer in his sermon on the mount in Matthew chapter 6, it comes in the context where Jesus is speaking about God as our Father. And the Lord's prayer is remarkably intimate in that sense. We call upon God as Father. Jesus says in Matthew 6, 6, when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Matthew 6, 43, don't be anxious about what you will eat or drink or put on for your father knows that you need all these things. And again, Matthew 6, 11, your father who is in heaven delights to give good gifts to those who ask him. And so the Lord's prayer comes into the context on that Sermon on the Mount where Jesus is emphasizing this relationship that we have with God as father. This is not the God of deism, the God of deism who uh, supposedly created this world but is disconnected from it and has no interest in humanity. No, Jesus is showing us that God has a tender love for his people like a father has for his children that he so cares for. And that we get to call upon God as father, not just as Lord, master, or king, but also father. And this truth, should remind us of the work of salvation, what Jesus has won for us. Because, think of this, what sinner would dare approach the Creator God, the Almighty, Sovereign, Holy One of Israel, calling upon Him as Father, apart from Jesus Christ? It's scandalous, that idea, to approach God, our Creator, apart from the mediation of Jesus, and that's why John Calvin once said to pray our father is to pray in Jesus name. It's to recognize that we can only call him father because of Jesus to come to God apart from Jesus is not to come to the father at all, but rather to come to God who is judge and opposed to us because of our sin to come to God apart from Christ is to come to a holy God without a mediator and who can stand in their sin in the presence of an almighty God who shines infinitely brighter in his holiness than the sun in all its glory. But when we call God Father, 
We are remembering our salvation in Christ, for Jesus is our elder brother who has brought us into the family of God by what he did for us. And since this teaching comes from Jesus, we should recognize here that an ordinary pattern in prayer, that we are addressing God as Father, praying to the Father in the name of Jesus and by the power of the Holy Spirit. I like to think of it in this way, that if prayer was a letter, we would address it to the Father and stamp it with the powerful seal of the, the blood and righteousness of the Son of God and the carrier uh, who would take that prayer to God is the Holy Spirit. And so our praying should reflect a Trinitarian understanding of who God is to the Father in the name of Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit. And notice here that Jesus implies the gospel. He shows us that his disciples have access to God as beloved children. That means that when God saves a person, he not only justifies them on account of Christ's perfect life, death, and his glorious resurrection, but that he also brings us into the family of God by way of adoption. It's more than just legally declaring us forgiven and righteous. He brings us into his own household, into his family seats us at the table. God is love. And in his very being as the triune God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, God has eternally expressed perfect love, harmony, and unity. Jesus said in John 17, 24, you love me before the foundation of the world. But do you know what Jesus said right before that in verse 23? To the Father, he says, you loved them even as you loved me. Incredible that the love that God the Father has had eternally for the Son is now expressed and carries over to us as those who are found in the household of God by the power of Christ adopting us into the family. The love that God has for his eternally begotten Son, who has always been with the Father in glory, is now bestowed upon us who are part of his family by way of adoption. We are loved like the Son treated like the son and heard of or heard from the father because the son is there interceding on our behalf and brings our requests to the father. Pastor theologian Tim Keller writes about this incredible nearness and access that we have to God saying this. Think of this illustration. The only person who dares wake up a king at 3 a.m. in the morning for a glass of water is a child. And we have that kind of access in prayer. That's the kind of access we have to God in prayer. And so Jesus wants us to remember this in our prayers. He reminds us that at the very beginning of the Lord's Prayer, we are members of the family of God solely by grace so that we can call upon God as Father. As the Heidelberg Catechism said, God has become our Father through Christ and will much less deny us what we ask of him in faith than our fathers would refuse us earthly things. This nearness of God reminds us of how God desires to provide for us. And this is what Luke tells us in our passage in verse 9 to 13, where he speaks of earthly fathers and argues from the lesser to the greater. Most earthly fathers and mothers, they know how to take care of their children. But even the best parents are imperfect and tainted with sin. But how much more... Can God care for us and hear us? He has no evil motives. He has no lack 
in himself. He knows exactly what we need, and he is able to pour out blessings upon us as he wills. And so children, remember this. Think about how your earthly, your parents, your mom and your dad, they know how to provide for you. They know how to give you the things that you need in life, things like food, clothing, shelter, or shelter, and even perhaps some dessert or toys every now and then uh, when it is your parents' will and desire for you. Just think about it. When was the last time that you were very, very hungry, that you didn't that you went a whole day without having food. Your parents, your parents are weak, they are sinners, and yet they still are able to take pretty good care of you, even though they're sinners. Think about how much more is God able to take care of you, he who is perfect in every way, and he is your father because of Jesus Christ. How much more will he love you and watch over you all the days of your life And God is not tight-fisted towards his children, reluctant to help them in their time of need. He is generous, and he is good as a father, and he delights to give good and necessary gifts to us when we ask him. The gospel shows us that God is the very opposite of stingy. He is so generous that he gave his one and only son in order to save us. The Apostle Paul says this in Romans 8, How then will he not also with him that is with Christ, graciously give us all things. If he gave us his son, the best gift of all, how much more will he give us the things that we need in life in order to sustain our faith until we arrive in glory? So in our address to God in the Lord's Prayer, we've seen that Jesus wants us to remember the nearness of God. He is our Father. But also he wants us to recognize the greatness of God. And that comes out in the phrase, who is in heaven. One of the things that all parents come to realize is that they are powerless to change their kids. Parents are limited in their abilities. They can't change hearts. They can't control everything. And they can't protect their children from all harms. And so we have to acknowledge that God alone is the keeper of our lives. And when it comes to God, we pray to our Father who is, as we considered earlier this morning, in complete control Of all things, not only our lives, but also this world, every atom. Think about it. Every atom is under his care and control. Not a hair can fall from your head apart from the will of your Father in heaven. We must remember God's incredible closeness to us in the gospel, his nearness, but also the greatness of his being. And these truths give us an assurance in prayer and humility before our awesome God. The Heidelberg Catechism says, These words teach us not to think of God's heavenly majesty in an earthly manner and to expect from his almighty power all things we need for body and soul. So that phrase, who is in heaven, our Father who is in heaven, teaches us two things that we want to think about tonight. First, God is not like us. He is in heaven. Children, think of this. God is not just a bigger version of us. No, he's not a bigger version of your dad or your mom with more power and more wisdom. He is different all together in his being. In, in theology, we call this the creator-creature distinction or God's transcendence. He is totally unlike us. It means that God is not 
quantitatively bigger than us, but he is qualitatively different than us. He is distinct, unique, and totally in a category of his own. He is the Holy One, which means that, distinct. He is the God who says in Isaiah chapter 40, To whom then will you compare me, that I should be like him, says the Holy One. No one can be compared to God. There's no one like him and none beside him. And so God's greatness should fill us with humility before him. Ecclesiastes 5 verse 2 says, Be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God, for God is in heaven and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. One pastor encourages the practice of meditating on the holiness of God for 15 to 30 seconds before beginning to pray. Uh, And we can read an account like Isaiah 60 or uh, Revelation 4 and 5, which describe how God is holy, 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 to kind of get a sense, to, to remind ourselves of the greatness of God before entering in. We don't want to be fools rushing into the presence of God in prayer where angels fear to tread. Uh, we want to come in with reverence and awe. When we allow God's holiness to capture our minds and our hearts, think about how that changes the words that come out of our mouths. It changes our disposition, our thinking. Think about how God's greatness changed Isaiah and his whole ministry. Or how uh, Peter, when he encountered the greatness of Jesus and his power, that changed him drastically for the rest of his ministry. God wants us to think about his nearness as our father, but not in such a way that diminishes his greatness, for he is our father who is in heaven. This is important also because God's greatness is good news for us in prayer. If God were like us, maybe he'd get tired or irritated or disgruntled like we do often. But the word of God reminds us that God is great and therefore he is great at keeping us in life. And that's what Psalm 121 says. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. God is not in need of rest on Thanksgiving break. He doesn't need to eat in order to get some energy. But he is self-sufficient, unchanging, all-powerful, and has life in himself. And so praying who art in heaven, reminds us of those things, that reality, and should give us great comfort as we pray, that he is the great keeper of our life. Secondly, the greatness of God reminds us that God has the power to help us in our time of need. Heidelberg Catechism question and answer 26 says, He is able to help us because he is almighty God. He desires to help us because he is a faithful father. Because God is sovereign and all-powerful over our lives and over this world, over the whole universe, he is able to hear our prayers and answer them. The one we address in prayer is not powerless. He is all-powerful. And there are some Christians who believe God is not sovereign over all, but is limited in his power since they think he can't intervene and violate man's free will. They say, well, God's sovereignty ends where man's will begins. But if that was the case, then why would we pray to God at all? A God who ultimately can't act for you is not a God worth asking 
to intervene and help you in your time of need. A God who can't overcome the stubborn heart of your loved one or your children and take away unbelief or raise the spiritually dead to life is not a God at all. The best a powerless God like that could do is try to just woo people to himself. But that is not the God to whom we belong. The God of the scriptures is the one who parted the Red Sea and humbled Pharaoh's mighty army. The God that we belong to is the one who blinded Saul of Tarsus on the road to Damascus and radically changed his life forever. This is the God who caused the storm to be stilled by his word alone and cast out legions of demons from men and set those men in their right minds. The God that we belong to is sovereign and he has power to help us in our time of need. And that gives us great comfort in God's sovereignty in our prayers because he is able to act on our behalf. He doesn't just try his best to save us. He is willing and able to save us to the uttermost and nothing can challenge or thwart his will. It is precisely because God, therefore, is not like us that he is able to help us in our time of need. And again, this is a great comfort because it means that evil will not win the day in the end. There seems to be an unusual amount of bad news going on in the world around us, and maybe that's because we have more access to news with technology today. And all that bad news can be a bit overwhelming at times, and we feel the kind of weight of all the chaos in the world around us on our shoulders. But we need to prayerfully ask God how to be salt and light, but we should bring all these issues to our Father who is sovereign, in complete control. In the midst of all this, we can sing, this is my Father's world. Let me never forget that though the wrong seems off so strong, God is the ruler yet. This is my father's world. Why should my heart be sad? The Lord is king. Let the heavens ring. God reigns. Let earth be glad. This is what we are to remember in every season of life, that the Lord is king. God reigns. Let the earth be glad. In every season of opposition, hardship, calamity, or suffering, we remember that God reigns supreme, and if we belong to him by faith in Jesus, he will bring us through the fires and the waters, as Isaiah says in chapter 43. Because to our Father in heaven, as we say each week, belongs the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. So we trust, we trust God that he hears us, and that he chooses to hear our prayers ultimately for our good. We struggle to accept God's answers to our prayers at times when his response apparently is no to what we're asking for, or it's apparently wait, no, or wait, and it's hard. But God's greatness and holiness means that we can trust his answer for prayer because they always flow from our Father who knows what is best for us, Even when we don't always understand the answers, we know his character is holy and good. God doesn't always give us what we want or ask for, but he always gives us what we would ask for if we knew what he knew. If we had the same knowledge of God, we would ask for what he gives us. And I'm convinced of this, that on 
the other side of glory, when we enter into God's presence, we will see, think of this, we will see how he answered every prayer of ours perfectly and wisely. No prayer made in Jesus' name goes unnoticed or unanswered by our good, good Father who is in heaven. He always hears and he always answers, not always in the same way that we expect or hope for, but he always answers according to his wisdom and his perfect love. So, beloved in the Lord, let us remember the nearness of our God in prayer, that we call him our Father. Why? Because of Jesus Christ, our elder brother, the adoption that we have received through his blood. And let us also remember the greatness of our God in prayer, that he is in heaven, and therefore he is able to help us in our time of need. All praise be to our Father in heaven who is able to help us because he is almighty God and who desires to help us because he is our faithful Father. May these truths help shape and strengthen our worship, our prayers, and our walk of faith this week. Amen. Let's pray. Thank you, Father God, for this time to meditate together on your word and this teaching from our Lord Jesus Christ about prayer how to approach you, acknowledging your greatness, but also rejoicing in your nearness because of the gospel, because of your love and mercy to us. Lord, we ask that you impress these truths upon us so that collectively, as your church, we might pray together for the things that you've taught us to pray and that we might continue to pray in the way that Jesus has taught us to pray. Praying to you, O Father, through the mediation of Christ, in his name and by the power of the Holy Spirit. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.